Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. This is Barb DeLong, your host. We have uh, Ken Quiethawk to thank for that amazing intro. His website is nativestorytellers.com. Please check it out. He has amazing material there. Tonight we have a very exciting guest. We have a great show tonight, and Bill Mann is our guest, and we are eagerly awaiting his entrance into our chat room or our, our switchboard. He's got a couple of books out on Templar's material that is fascinating to me. And being a Templar Oak Island addict as I am, I can't wait for him to get in here and talk to us about his two books, both on Templars and uh, his Sinclair's Voyage to North America and, and, and getting into the Oak Island mystery stuff. It's, uh, it's, an, it's an area of... Um, history that, that I have long been addicted to, certainly the Oak Island material. So I am I have been eagerly awaiting it. I've actually been doing, you know, extra research on my own on the side here. I've been getting into Zena Halperin's work and um of course I had David Brody on a couple of weeks ago and I had read all eight of his books. So, you know, when I become a fanatic I do it wholeheartedly. I don't just do it a little bit. I do it a lot. Hi. Hi, Bill. How how are you? This is Mark and uh, Barbara. Hey, we have our Hi there, Mark now. and Barbara. For some reason, I it's nothing's popping up here. Well, that's okay uh, because well, I have you on the telephone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, we uh, everything's fine now. We have our guest. Just a couple uh, minutes of a tech glitch, but we are ready to go and. You know, I think uh, you know, about two and a half weeks ago that uh, you know the you know blog talks English Robo Babe chastised me for taking too long to explain why I was taking off until January third, and you know we've you know, you know we were doing the Christmas and New Year's Eve you know nights off and. Um, and, and we've ended up doing a show every week, 
uh, since then, or so, so much for uh, you know ha- having a, a vacation. But you know, I think that's uh, proof that the blog talk English Robo Babe is becoming AI. But I, I think she misses me. <laughs> and, and, but uh, and, and you know the Red Dragon Rider uh, misses my little voice too. But you know we have our esteemed guest today, and you know uh, as you know Barbara and I wrap up our four months of officially uh, collaborating. Um, it's gotten a little weird with you know the Mothman show we did, but you know we've been focusing a lot on uh, history that isn't known to most of us. Um, and just wait until we do our first culinary art show. Could be the last <laughs> one we do too, but probably. But, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's it, it's the diversity of underreported historical topics that is you know, what the show is about. And I think tonight is going to be super captivating. And and we're going to be covering secret societies and hidden messages and paintings, Oak Island, Templars in Canada, the Sinclair voyages, and lots more with Bill Mance. I I think, you know, now that we're, we're underway, yeah, you're going to learn an awful lot about the underreported aspects of history. So, you know, I just want to welcome uh, Bill Mann to Nightlight. Hi, Bill. Hi there, Mark. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm fine. Uh, th- thank you so much for uh, being our guest tonight. And you know, we're you know we're, uh, we're going to be reviewing your now, trilogy, uh, the Knights Templar in the New World, uh, Templar Sanctuaries in North America, and the Templar Meridians, uh, all are available on innertraditions.com. I just want to thank them for you know, doing so much to connect us. Um, you know, thanks, Manzanita. I'll get the uh, archive to you tomorrow. But you know, instead of uh, me going over your... It, it, you know, really astonishing resume. Um, maybe you should just you know talk a little bit about your background, and you know, I, I think everyone's going to quickly realize, oh, Bill has a lot of hidden knowledge that most of us are you know have only thought about, but you know, you've lived it. So, so um, it, you know, let, uh, let's talk a little bit about like. Uh, both sides of y- your family. Uh, that's just I- intriguing in itself. Well, that, that is that is really interesting, Mark, and that's really what started me on this. Sorry, I'm just adjusting things here. Um, that's really started me on this whole sort of journey that I've had over the last uh, probably 60 years, right from the start that I can re- remember. Uh, it really started with uh, my great uncle. Um, well, the whole Mann family. The whole Mann family is immersed entirely in masonry, Freemasonry. 
but my great uncle sort of uh, became my grandfather because my grandfather died before I was born. And unbeknownst to me until about 20 years ago, uh, he was Supreme Grandmaster of Slavon Great Priory, Knights Templar of Canada in the 50s. And so here I was as a little uh, little boy, uh, sort of enthralled by my great uncle, um, reciting certain things to me. And I thought he was just eccentric, but uh, it turns out that what he was doing was trying to pass on, uh, I won't say secrets, but obviously uh, uh, a real background in Freemasonry. And he had the quite a history, and the Mann family, from what I've gathered, has gone back uh, a number of generations in Freemasonry. Now, coupled with that is my mother is uh, full-blooded Algonquin, and um, a lot of this has intrigued me, and when I found out my great-uncle was Supreme Grand Master Knights Templar in in the 50s, I, uh, in order to keep his legacy going, in order, I vowed 20 years ago that one day that I would uh, become Supreme Grandmaster myself. And uh, next August, I'll be installed as Supreme Grandmaster and Knights Templar of Canada. Um, and and what it's known as uh, Christian masonry. It's the highest level of uh, masonry that you can achieve. And uh, you can either go two routes. You can either go the Scottish Rite route, I'm a 32nd degree Mason, or you can go the York Rite route, which is English Masonry, and you move up through what they call chapter and cryptic rite into Knights Templar, and uh, so that's really provided the basis for for my personal journey. Um, coupled with that, over the last uh, 20 years, as you've uh, indicated, I've written three books called the Templar Trilogy. Um, uh, all about what I believe is to be the hidden history, uh, the history that you don't learn in the uh, in school um, about Knights Templar and their journeys from the uh, from the 10th century onward to probably the 14th century before before Columbus. Um, and the whole premise of the books is that the, they're making a series of transatlantic journeys over a number of centuries. Um, even prior to their downfall in 1307, but they were making a number of transatlantic journeys and developed a really, uh, on a very spiritual basis, uh, a strategic um, uh, interface uh, through uh, marriages um, with the native Indians, starting with the Mi'kmaq and moving through the larger Algonquin nation all the way out to the Rockies. And... Uh, Based upon that, what they did is they brought the so-called Templar treasure and over centuries moved it uh, inland away from the uh, the church and, the, and European royalty, which were constantly pursuing them across the seas. Okay. So uh, in, I think it's the uh, Sanctuaries book, you, know, you state that the the Mann family is a direct descendant from the Sinclairs, so yes. you, know, uh, uh, you know that the Sinclair voyages is you know a uh, you know, big topic. Uh, Barbara just had uh, an exciting series uh, on uh, uh, with one of the authors just. Uh, 
a, a month ago who you know, wrote a, a book on the uh, voyages, uh, the settlements in uh, New England. So, uh, okay, so you are a direct descendant of the Henry Sinclair uh, family. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, okay, so, you know, we have, you know, that, that the, the Sinclairs are, ha- have a connection to the, uh, like the Merovingian uh, bloodline, is that right? Yeah, and in actual fact, I can trace my genealogy right back into uh, Normandy and the Merovingian kings. Okay, so which is interesting, which is interesting in itself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 uh, Let's stop uh, and you know talk about that. Like, you know, where, you know, uh, what the Merovingians show up as you know a prominent family in what, like the fourth or fifth century in France, and well, uh, much more than prominent. uh, Family and in essence, they were in Francia. They were the uh, the reigning nobility at the time, and they continued uh, right through the founding of France and uh, into uh, into interbreeding with the the Vikings, Rollo, um, in the 10th century that established Normandy, and uh, the continuation or the disbursement of that. Um, that bloodline into Scotland, England, Ireland, and uh, areas beyond. Yes. Okay. So, what is it about the Merovingians that you know, seems to really cat? You know, has really. Well, I think I think what really I, I think what really captures the imagination, uh, Mark, is and it's being it's really being generated through a number of books uh through the da vinci code and it it but it really started with uh Bajent lincoln and lee's uh uh holy grail holy bloodline so um what it talks about is the possibility that merovingians were direct descendants of the intermarriage between jesus and mary magdalene but the, what I say to all all of those who interview me, don't get hung up on that. That may be just one aspect of the story. Um, the Knights Templar themselves discovered a number of things uh, just prior to the first, first Crusades. And um, uh, part of that was possibly the genealogy of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene. But uh, more importantly, there was uh, there was other knowledge associated with what they discovered under the Temple of Solomon. Okay. Are, are you allowed to divulge a little bit of some of this information that was discovered uh, in, Well, let's just say that let's just say there were a variety okay. of of genealogical records, there was other, um, uh, let's say, um, scientific knowledge that was recorded from from the Egyptians and beyond. Uh, prior to the Great Flood, there were there were relics, there were artifacts, uh, virtually a whole uh, uh, composition of uh, uh, what we'll term to be ancient knowledge. Okay, and. So, so the Templars studied 
all, all of that for you know, a few hundred years. That kind of takes us up and you know, to some of the you know, uh, later Middle Ages. We get uh, you brought up some of the you know, the importance of um, you know, the, the castle of Gizor and Rennes Chateau. Uh, it, it, uh, sure, Walsh sure. Chapel. The, yeah, what the, was, the biggest you know, the biggest thing that I talk about. Sorry to interrupt. The biggest thing that I talk about in my books is the continuation of ancient knowledge. A lot mm-hmm. of people, a lot of people are trying to um, uh, discover the the finite connection between Freemasonry, the Knights Templar, and uh, uh, the Knights Templar, Prince Henry St. Clair, and prior to that, going right back to the original nine knights and what they discovered. I believe that what I've been able to do is being able, because of my family background, because mm-hmm. of some of the some of the secrets that were shown to me by my great uncle, um, I believe that I've been able to piece together a definitive uh, thread or connection between what was discovered uh about a thousand years ago in modern day the upper echelons are in a circle of freemasonry around the world okay so, so how, how how does you know, like that that material fit in with the the Sinclair's building the Roslyn chapel like with all all the secret knowledge and well yeah what's really interesting there is there's Everybody thinks that the that Roslyn Chapel is the finite resting place of the treasure. It's really not. What you always have to do is the moral to the story. If, if there's nothing else that I learned, is always to look beyond. Whenever you think that that you've discovered the final resting place of the Templar treasure, whenever you think you figured out the puzzle, always look beyond because there's a higher level or a higher degree of learning and in part it's the ancient knowledge that's generated is is the journey it, that's that's the real treasure it's not what lies at the end of the uh, at the end of the rainbow per se and so Roslyn Chapel um as a lot of people have speculated it was the, uh, a temporary depository for part of the Templar treasure but what you have to appreciate is the Templars were uh, they were warrior monks, but they, they, they were the foremost strategists of their time. And uh, it just makes sense from what I've discovered that they wouldn't have put all their eggs in one basket. They would disperse the secrets around the world uh, on, after that fateful night of uh, Friday, October the 13th, 1307. Okay, so... I, Okay, uh, that uh, that's a good uh, leaping off point, you know, with the you know what you just said about uh, dispersing the treasures. So ha- yes. how do we go from you know, uh, you know, uh, you know like the early stages of modern France and uh, Scotland, and you know we get to Canada? Uh, oh, sure, where, where, sure. Where does that uh, how, how do we make that leap across the Atlantic Ocean? Well, you have to understand that the original Knights Templar, they were obviously French. And 
outwardly they were some of the greatest French Catholic families to be established in early France. But inwardly, they still maintained uh, the Jewish mysticism. So knowing that, all of the original nine knight families were derived from the Jewish high priest, which virtually hid the treasure during its sacking of the, uh, of the Temple of Solomon. And it was through continuation of that priesthood, that family line, that the original nine uh, knights knew exactly where to dig. And that continuation of that uh, of that knowledge uh, extended and interspersed into the Norman families, uh, first through the Vikings, and then uh, the St. Clairs. The St. Clairs were obviously of uh, of Norman background, and uh, so when the treasure was dispersed uh, after 1307, it went to a number of places that were family family homes, per se, of the uh, original nine knights, Scotland being one, Denmark being another, Portugal being another, and North America being the uh, probably the most secretive. Remember that uh, the whole premise is that North America was visited not only by the Knights Templar over a series of centuries, but uh, they were following the footsteps of other secret societies established through the Phoenicians, the Carthaginians, the Greeks, the Romans. Um, you always have to look beyond in terms of once you think you have that definitive connection, uh, think of how that connection uh, has spread its tentacles throughout uh, throughout Europe and the uh, Mediterranean and into North America, all on a on a very secretive basis. Because um, if you had uh, secret knowledge which allowed you to complete transatlantic voyages back and forth in North America over a number of centuries, obviously you would disguise that knowledge under various layers of uh, uh, esoteric knowledge. Um, and other secrets. Right, and okay, yeah, uh, we'll be getting into some of these esoteric secrets uh, throughout the show. But sure. you know, one one of the uh, uh, pieces of evidence that you mentioned in uh, the Knights Templar and the New World is the Zeno map. Yes, and uh, uh, you know we could start there. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know when David Brody was a guest with Barbara about a month ago, he was talking about the Westford Knight. You, you know, that's included in your book too. So, yeah, yeah there's. Uh, 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 you know, we spend some time talking about the, the evidence that backs up that Europeans were here. Long before Columbus, so uh, maybe start sure. with the map. Sure. Well, the map's really interesting. You, know, uh, you have to appreciate that um, Prince Henry Sinclair was hereditary grandmaster and Knights Templar of Scotland, but uh, they re- really needed the seagoing, uh, seafaring admirals, and the two Zeno brothers out of Venice, who were also Knights Templar, were virtually provided to them. There's a story that they washed up on shore in Scotland and they they came together, but that's not by chance. That's uh, uh, all of this is arranged. 
So the Knights Templar, were, who at that time were the greatest seafarers uh, in the world, uh, they possessed the uh, not only the knowledge developed over centuries by Venetians, by the Greeks, by the Romans, but also by the Normans and uh, specifically the Vikings. And in essence, uh, Prince Henry St. Clair, uh, following the Zeno map uh, created by the Zeno brothers, was were following in the footsteps of the Norse Vikings. And they were uh, hopscotching from Iceland to Greenland to Baffin Island down along the eastern uh, seaboard uh, into Nova Scotia. And they and they knew the signs, symbols, and tokens of their uh, forefathers, which allowed them to make that contact with uh, with the Native Americans. Trust me, the Knights Templar wouldn't, or the Norse Vikings wouldn't have gotten a, a stranglehold on the eastern seaboard if the uh, Native Americans uh, didn't want them to, didn't allow them. Okay. So all so all of those clues that that are now coming out, the Westford Knight, the uh, the Newport Tower, um, all of these things coming together, carved stones, there's, uh, it's not only evidence um, that's coming to light uh, through Prince Henry Sinclair's voyage, but also um, through my involvement with uh, the, uh, the Grand Medicine Society of Medewin of North America the Native American side, and there's uh, not only myths, legends, but also oral uh, tradition, oral history through the ceremonies, and there's also artifacts that are in possession of the Native Americans uh, that really attest to uh, the, the strategic intermarriages by the Knights Templar and the uh, Native North Americans. Okay. Um, and, you know, one of, you know, <clears throat> and uh, not really an artifact, but uh, you, you know, one of the uh, similarities, uh, you know, between the uh, Sinclairs and the uh, Micmac is the, the similarity in flags. Yes. Yes, there's there's a lot of evidence even beyond the similarity in in the uh, Knights Templar uh, banner and the uh, the Mi'kmaq uh, banner. Um, it's it's essentially the mirror image, and I can tell you that going to, having gone through a variety of ritual and ceremonies, that in fact the uh, Medewin ritual is uh, a mirror image of the Knights Templar ritual that we practice to today. You just have to have the eyes in order to see the uh, the corresponding symbols and uh, and signs and tokens. Okay, it, so yeah, you know, the sim- similarity in um, uh, c- ceremonial uh, a- activities uh, you know, show, shows that you know, there's. Uh, obvious uh, exchange of ideas at, at some point and, and you also mentioned you know the importance of folklore and you know you have this character uh, Goose Cup and uh, the, the Knights Templar so 
you know, let, 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 let's stick with some of this folklore sure. for uh, a, a little while longer, and then, then we need to get into the other evidence of the foundations of the the villages and castles on, sure, on the Zeno sure. map. You got to be very careful. A lot of people, a lot of people, uh, because there's evidence in the uh, Native American legends. Uh, Assume assume Prince Henry St. Clair to be Glooscap. Uh, it's the other way around. Prince Henry St. Clair may have assumed some of the attributes of Glooscap, but Glooscap is, is a deity, a, a man god of the Mi'kmaq, and it shouldn't be mistaken that uh, okay. Glooscap was Prince Henry St. Clair. But having said that, it's really interesting that there's a, a variety of, of similarities. You have to remember that, again, the Knights Templar were warrior monks, and they believed in the forces of nature. Uh, they, they outwardly were Christians, but inwardly believed in a, in a very higher spiritual level. They believed that they could speak directly to God without the assistance of the church. Uh, so they shared a lot in common with the, the spiritual um, leaders of the, of the North Americans, and so they had a commonality that they shared from a spirituality point of view on a higher level. And um, I like to explain the higher level. There's a, a series of what they call little keys of Solomon, and it's the basic it's the basic knowledge which would have been transferred from the ancients. It would include astronomy, dualism, numerology, androgyny, um, etymology, basic principles of the forces of nature. And the Knights Templar specifically, and Native Americans believe it also, is that there's order in nature. And as such, you can uh, not necessarily control nature, but you can be one with nature. And so the uh, North, uh, North American uh, indigenous people would have recognized the spirituality with the Knights Templar very common to their own. And it's for that reason and that reason alone that there was, they were able to come together. And, uh, and through, that, through that, what better way to bond um, and to solidify the... Uh, the engagement, but through uh, intermarriage. Uh, a number of the Mi'kmaq uh, princesses were married off to uh, very high-ranking knights um, or the uh, the bloodline members themselves that were uh, accompanying the Knights Templar. Okay, so, uh, you know, you, you know, you're... Yeah, you know, just you know, basically a descendant from you know, that that same idea. Just uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, the Templars marrying the uh, native, you know, having the native wives, and, and seal, you know, all, all these uh, you know, uh, families, and uh, uh, you know what. You know what else was going on? You know, it's, uh, you, know you, you know, you you have, you know, the you know, some of the bloodline is uh, still, um, you know, preserved uh, that way as well. 
Sure. And, uh, you know, everybody asks me, well, are you the holy bloodline? And, and I'll say that's secondary to the to the whole story. The, the whole story, you know, everybody wants to concentrate on that, right, because of the Da Vinci Code. And right. I say to... And I say to him, I said, look, always look beyond. Look beyond why were there these strategic intermarriages with the Native uh, North Americans? Uh, it's because the Native North Americans were able to uh, to guide them inland, knowing that the, knowing full well that the, the church and the state was in hot pursuit of these uh, Knights Templar over centuries. The, Jew, the Jesuits that showed up uh, following Champlain, uh, they moved immediately past Montreal into into inland into North America because they they knew the stories they knew the thinking of the Knights Templar that they wouldn't just position themselves in Nova Scotia and stay there they wouldn't position them in, in Rhode Island and stay there they were too exposed there so they this whole story of pursuit of the Knights Templar and the bloodline has uh, occurred over uh, a thousand a thousand years and it's continuing to this day well let's uh so uh you know is it, you know you, you, do you, you may have the uh you know part you know, the 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 uh bloodline like uh yeah, do, yeah, do do uh like walk across a swimming pool or anything like that? Do you, no, I don't think so. Uh, no, uh, okay, all right. No, no, that's a no. That <laughs> you shouldn't look at it that way. Okay, I was just wondering if. Yeah, uh, that was just. I can see what you're saying. What you're saying, Mark. But again, that's secondary. Don't okay. don't get don't get hung up on that. Get. Think about think oh, about interesting. okay maybe that it is very interesting, but it's only one part of the story. Think about the larger story. What what did the knights possess that allowed them, like they answered originally only to the Pope. What did they possess that scared the Vatican to the point that they looked to obliterate the Knights Templar? Was it was it only was it only this knowledge of the holy bloodline, or was there something else, something else in terms of ancient knowledge, which identified this continuing of an ability to talk, to converse with God directly, to um, travel, circumnavigate the world when the church was uh, uh, dictating that the earth was flat. What ancient knowledge did they possess? that allowed them to essentially uh, uh, blackmail the church for about 300 years, um, and, but also allowed them to, uh, to essentially be one step ahead of everybody for probably the last thousand years. No, they, they, they had all kinds of you know, the, you know, you know, hidden knowledge, exactly you know, the, 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 the bloodline, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know the you know uh, marriage and uh, child. If you, know, you want to go yeah. in, in that direction, is sure, well. sure. You know, there's there, there a threat to the uh, church teachings. Absolutely, but think about it. When the Da Vinci Code came out, it made such a splash. But mm-hmm. now it's sort of, now it's sort of being 
it's being dismissed as being, you know, a work of fiction and uh, by the church and let's move on type of thing. The church is obviously lo- losing grasp or control of their power over the past 2,000 years. It's because people are finally asking questions in terms of uh, open knowledge. What other knowledge is there out there that really demonstrates that uh, um, there were ancient civilizations prior to the flood, to the great flood? And, and And what did they possess? And was there a continuation of that knowledge to uh, right to the point that we talked today? Can, can I ask a question? Sure, Barbara. How are you? I'm terrific. Um, i enthralled, actually. Uh, so, if the Templars had secrets, it would yes. it would it appears that their secrets would have um, shaken the very foundation of Christianity. Yes. So yes, that, and uh, and maybe part of those secrets was, uh, what's the basis of Christianity? The basis of Christianity is that Christ rose on the third day and uh, took a seat beside God in the heavens. What it, what if? Yeah. Uh, to to me, Christ is divine. The Christian mysteries. Christ practiced the Christian mysteries. He was he was a prophet. Is he no yeah. less divine? Is he no less divine if he's just proven to be a man? Well, the Bible does said that he sent his son down here to be human, so yes. obviously he was human. Yes, and, and we were. <clears throat> and so, in in many ways, we are all sons and daughters of God. So, yes, very very much so, very much so. But over the past two thousand years, the church has. Uh, uh, had control of the message to the point that the only way that you could, in actual fact, converse with God, be one with God, was through the church. Yeah. So, uh, so you in, wipe out the, the church. Yes. And it seems to me that that the people today, even though these mysteries haven't been discovered, are questioning all of this anyhow. Yes, very much so. So the treasure of the Templars was enlightenment. Absolutely. You got it right there. And that people, anybody who I talk to uh, through my website or whatever, if they come on and say, I know where the treasure is buried, such as Oak Island, I say, yeah. well, that's nice, that's nice, but I really don't want to converse with you. But if you want to talk about a, if you want to talk about a journey of enlightenment, I'll talk to you for a couple hours. There's like a, an old story, <clears throat> an old ancient story, about when God, when when man was created, the gods, notice it's gods, decided that all of a sudden they made a mistake because their creation had all of their powers, and somehow they had to hide those powers from him. So that he didn't take his place among them and not be ready, and they yes. they they argued for generations trying to figure out where to hide the knowledge, you know, not in the moon, not in the seas, because man would eventually find them. And old crone wandered in finally and said, "Enough! I'll tell you where to hide it, so they'll never find it." And she said, "Hide it within them; they'll never look there." Yes, within their within their soul. 
Now, what's yeah. really interesting is in all of my research and and uh, in my movement in in Freemasonry, I, I really discovered that the the soul doesn't lie in your heart. Your soul nope. is is through logic and reason through your brain, through yeah. your mind. It's it's man has been given a terrific gift and. Uh, um, many of us don't use it, but if you start to use reason and logic on a higher level, and this mm-hmm. is what Freemason, this is what Freemasonry is all about. It uh, through their ritual, even North American Medewin ritual is the same. What it, it does is open up that soul, open up your mind to that enlightenment. Yeah, and so it's it's awareness and sensitivity, Absolutely. and I've all, I've often said that. Freemasonry was a man's way of finding the spiritual pathway. It is, and it's unfortunate that it is sort of a, a man's way. And there, um, what I like to think is that there's a real balance because uh, in the indigenous people in North America, they practice a matriarchal society. So yeah. you got a, your patriarchal society balanced by your matriarchal society. And and that's one of the little keys of Solomon androgyny is the coming together male and female. Uh-huh. I always like I always like to say that my uh, my wife is the conduit. She's the one that keeps me grounded. That allows me to to reason um, what I've written about in my books. And with and without yeah. her, I and without her, I wouldn't be able to. Well, it seems to me then that the Templar treasure is buried within each of us. It is, it is. But there's also there's also a physical treasure out there. Mm-hmm. But it may, it may not be what people are always looking for. I always laugh watching the Curse of Oak Island on the <laughs> History Channel. You know, every ten minutes, could this be the most significant find of all time? Um, and they're looking for gold and silver. Well, if they're looking for gold and silver, they missed the true treasure. They missed, yeah, no, they missed the reasoning. Well, Bill, oh, go, go ahead, Barbara. No, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. I, I oh, didn't mean to butt in, but. Oh, oh no, no. I, I was uh, just going to say, do you think something was. Uh, you know, buried there temporarily before it was moved. To... Absolutely, but uh, um, everybody's attributing. Um, it's it's funny. The guys on the Curse of Oak Island always come back to the Knights Templar because, because because it's popular and it's sexy because of the Da Vinci Code and other books that are written about it. But what they don't think about is that the Knights Templar could have assumed earlier works and built upon those by other by other secret societies that came before them. So I would I would look at Oak Island very very much like Roslyn Chapel. It was a a temporary depository. It mm-hmm. was like a banking a, a banking system. You you moved you moved certain artifacts, you moved certain relics from one site to another. Now the the whole thing what really gets me is that um nobody's bothered to ask the question about Oak Island. Why would you construct the works of Oak Island and deposit something there if you didn't know how to recover it and move it and take it somewhere else? You can always make a withdrawal from a bank. <laughs> 
Yeah, I th- I, I think they did withdraw it for sure, but um, it, it's held our attention for six years, so you got to give them credit for that. Oh no, no, but, uh, no, absolutely, no, absolutely, and I wish them all the best, but. If they're looking for gold and silver, they may find it because what they're discovering is that uh, uh, high-ranking British Masons were uh, there's a lot of evidence of high-ranking British Masons on the uh, island in, from 1750 to 1800 to, yeah. throughout the American Revolution. Oh yeah, well, I'm sure they'll find something. But oh, it's, if they if they spend enough money now I could now what they have to realize is that no matter what I've what sites I've discovered there's always you, I've always discovered them through two basic elements or two basic principles of Freemasonry one is sacred geometry uh-huh. and it, which is which is just the geometry that we learn now in high school. But 2,000 years ago, it would be considered to be, you know, sacred in terms of its application from the Greeks, from the Greek philosophers, through the Romans, uh, through other secret societies as that was passed down. Uh, sacred geometry and moral allegory. Barbara, you touched upon it right there. There's mythology, there's uh, allegory, um, there's myth, there's legend, uh, which uh, is based upon uh, a moral or a lesson. And the lesson about Oak Island is always to look beyond. Whenever you well, think I, that you've you found the central, the, the, the last depository of that treasure, always look beyond. Well, it's, it's like the different levels of masonry. You know, there's always yes. somewhere else to go. There's always someone else to go. Until, of course, you get to 33, and that has to be bestowed upon you. But but it seems to me that um, the whole legend or mystery or whatever of following the Templar's treasure should lead someone to a spiritual understanding within themselves until yes, they don't absolutely. need to search for it anymore because they don't need to find something they have within themselves. Uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely, and that's again the moral to the story. That's really uh-huh. what I've discovered over this lifelong journey. I've some of the some of the finest gentlemen that I've I've met through throughout my travels are high-ranking uh, masons, and and I don't say that because I come from a long line of masons. I uh, that's a judgment outside of Freemasonry itself. Um, really, it's uh, it's. Uh, good men that uh, really exude that spirituality, that uh, that self awareness. That uh, I wish everybody in the world could do that. Be yeah, a lot better I, place. I want to be specific here in that spirituality is not a philosophy; it's a way of life. Absolutely, and you know you can practice spirituality on a number of levels and in, in a number of different yeah. ways. And uh, as I say, through my family background, I practice it on um, its mirror images, and it's, uh, really, uh, it really is enlightening to me. And every day I've, I'm um, enlightened even more. Its application, and not only, not only on a variety of levels, but if you practice it at work, if you practice it with, with your neighbor, um, it's rewarding in itself. 
Absolutely, but there's nothing like a good treasure hunt. Oh, there is. Absolutely. No. Now, no. if you want to talk about a treasure hunt on that level, I can talk about that too, yes. Yeah. But I think we should I think we should understand you have to understand the mindset of the Knights Templar right from the original Knights Templar onwards, right through Freemasonry to the modern day. That the the spirituality, the achievement of being able to uh, essentially be one with God um through ritual, through ceremony, through tr- tradition is the absolute treasure. Now, if you want to apply it on a on a physical level, yes, I can uh, um I can explain how I believe that I've unfolded the treasure map through a series of uh through a series of clues also. Because the the treasure search is on a variety of levels. Yeah, and you know, I truly believe that they did find documents of some sort. That, yes. That, yeah, that, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, even the Renle Chateau material that that priest was was blackmailing the church. So absolutely. So that and the Rennes and the Rennes Le Chateau material has been readily dismissed. But oh. what I tell people is, I'm I'm the world's biggest skeptic too, and whatever you discover, carve away all the outer layers and. About ten percent of what you've discovered will be the truth, yeah. and apply that and apply that truth. Well, uh, Bill, you know, you know, seeing as you know the treasure maps and you know the you know hidden information, you, know, you do uh, uh, present a convincing case with the uh, shepherds of Arcadia. Uh, painting uh, that seems to you know, be you know, be a uh, clue that fits in pretty frequently with uh, you know, these uh, t- Templar studies, and it it does. Yeah, uh, how does all all of that fit fit in with you know what we're discussing? Well, what I'm fascinated by is that you have probably two of the greatest artists in the High Renaissance. You have Nicholas Poussin and David Ten Years the Younger. And David Ten Years the Younger, he actually was probably um, on a comparable scale to Nicholas Poussin. But it's because of the information that was generated through Poussin's paintings. It's like a, it's like a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle. What I find amazing is that uh, uh, painters, sculptors, other artists over the centuries have been able to carve clues that are in plain sight to those that understand them readily into their paintings or into their carvings. Um, and, uh, of course, we know a lot about Sonia and uh, René's Le Chateau and the two paintings that are referred to as, as clues of the Priory of Zion and Da Vinci being one of the acclaimed masters of the Priory Zion. Now, that, the Priory Zion itself has been dismissed um, by the church. It, it wasn't the inner circle of the Knights Templar, but I can tell you it was. Um, it just carried on through a different name, 
And uh, what I've been able to do is I've been able to piece together those two puzzles and apply them to an ancient uh, meridian pattern that I established across North America. And the clues themselves in the paintings, and we're talking about various degrees or layers of the painting, the underpainting, and the uh, the elements within the painting being the, uh, the the figures themselves, they all come together and provide a variety of clues that point um, to where I believe the uh, the physical treasure still lies to this day, as it was moved across North America. So if you want to talk about it on that physical layer of, uh, Barbara mentioned that she believes that they're treasure, and I believe also. Um, I think that I pinpointed exactly in the book, and you, you'll say, why did you do that? Um, uh, I've always found the journey itself to be to be the enlightenment, not what you discovered at the end of the rainbow. And what I'm suggesting is that I believe I know where the treasure lies, but it should uh, it should remain where it is because obviously it will uh, uh, cause on one level certain catastrophic uh, events that uh, could be um, deadly to a number of societies. Okay. Well, uh, we we don't want to uh, uh, you know be, you know we, we don't want nightlight to be known for problems. <laughs> So uh, we'll, uh, we'll just leave the sure. treasure hidden. But it, you know, it would be nice to get you know, maybe just one gold bar out of there. But uh, you know, for, for the moment, okay, we'll leave, just leave it uh, where the treasure lies. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you bring uh, you know to our attention that uh, Poussin's use of uh, the. Uh, the, the underlying garments. underlying layer underlying layers of pattern. Yeah, uh, you know that's important in understanding the painting as well. Can uh, can, can you talk about uh, you know the the, the sure. uh, use of colors? Well, well, it all obviously breaks down. Um, now, Poussin also was a Rosicrucian. And if you know the difference between Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism, uh, they're all they're all elements of Christian masonry. But where Freemasonry talks about and uses the uh, the allegory of the rebuilding of Solomon's castle, and uh, talking about the Masons themselves, Rosicrucianism talks about the uh, um, transmutation of certain elements to the philosopher's stone through alchemy and the use of color and numerology uh on on a variety of levels now what what i am fascinated by Poussin's painting the shepherds are are of arcadia is there's four basic elements or four figures in the painting actually there's a hidden fifth element because the shepherdess is pregnant and it's the colors of the clothing that the uh, the figures wear. All of those are clues on a variety of, of levels. And they move through a sequence, a numerological sequence. And I, again, I refer back to these little keys of Solomon. And what they lead you to is they, they provide the cornerstone to 
uh, David Tenier's painting of St. Anthony and St. Paul, which is which is brilliant. And you have 20 years between the two paintings. You have two artists, but the second artist built upon what what the first artist was really conveying. And the first artist was using information that was provided by some of the early explorers, uh, the mapping of the northeastern seaboard and the movement through the Great Lakes. And that's uh, Poussin Shepherd of Arcadia. And we know that Nova Scotia and the area around it was, was called Acadia or Arcadia. So that was that on one level, but that provides the cornerstone in Masonic terms, the cornerstone to a greater painting of St. Anthony and St. Paul. And if you know your history of St. Anthony and St. Paul, um, they were the two they they were the two first mystic monks that took to the wilderness to debate this question of how to converse with God. So adding all of those elements, you move through the various paintings and uh, layered sequence, and it shows you it built upon the information that was provided by people such as Champlain and the Jesuits and Nicolette, um, all the information that was coming back through France uh, to the secret societies, and it built upon that, and uh, it ultimately gives you the location of where I believe the Templar treasure lies to this day. It's very hard to describe with uh, over the uh, over the radio, but uh, that's essentially the way it's it's identified. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sh- sh- um, it, you know, I'm sure people can just Google. You know, the listeners can Google it, and it'll it'll come up. And you know, uh, you know there's what four. For people uh, kind of looking at, it seems like a, an, an above-ground uh, tomb. Uh, well, from, well, from a biblical point of view, it's the, the four witnesses of the transfiguration of Christ. And the, the tomb itself is a representative of Christ's tomb in a very high re- Renaissance way. Yeah, and I'm... I'm you know, I, I'm sure if uh, you know the listeners will you know just uh, take a minute to uh, look look at it, they'll you know real uh, sure. you know that's uh, that's in the book. You know, it, it, it's a pretty uh, f- famous painting, and you see it on like the History Channel and Travel Channel. Yeah. Uh, you know when they do um, sh- shows on the Templars as well. So uh, it, 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 it it is you know, really uh, well done. Painting and your descriptions and all the how all the uh, uh, circles uh, or you know, like all these spheres work within the painting as well. It, it's you know, very intriguing. Um, but you know, what, uh, one of the other um, you know, since we're kind of talking about art um, and. and uh, I have a question. It, it, it really isn't a, a, about the little keys of Solomon and the uh, what you said about the androgyny, but um, um, you know when uh, David Brody was a guest uh, in in his I think second to last book, he he um, uh, had uh, a, a scene set at. Uh, uh, 
Notre Dame, uh, De Montreal. Uh, I, don't, I I think it's you know, like the main uh, the, the the main church. Uh, Actually, it's Notre Dame, Notre Dame de Bon Secure of the Good uh, Sisters. Uh, yes. Okay. And he he uh, uh, drew attention to the artwork in in that church. Yes. And, and you know there was you know, like uh, you know, he he continued you know, amplifying the legacy of uh, like some of the Mary statues and what there was um, uh, the, the I think it was the use of uh, the colors on the statue. It, it's the use of the colors on the statue. Um, uh, obviously, red and white is representative of Templars. Uh, green is representative. Of, we talk about ancient knowledge, and that's a Neolithic man and the green man. Um, the goddess is usually uh, ensconced in, in gold and blue, and that's representative of the uh, Hellenic period of the goddess. So all of these all of these colors obviously relate to certain periods. And so Barbara talked about the concept of, of God and uh obviously we know Christianity through the Council of Nicaea through um uh, Constantine that uh, um certain concepts were accepted for Christianity and certain concepts were uh, Neglected or thrown to the side. What what you find if you look at mythology, obviously there's the development of a force of nature, the creator, as Native North Americans relate to it, and then you move into the Hellenic, uh, the goddess per se, or as Barbara says, the gods, and then we have the Jewish concept of one God, the omnipotent God. And then Jesus Christ being the Son of God, it's, it talks about the evolution. Um, and there's, as, as you've noted, there are clues uh, that artists have used that the secret has been uh, within the inner circle. And many, many of those who carried the secret have been the artists themselves. And they've been able to use their art, ostensibly, to to portray little inklings of this of the underlying secrets or development or evolution of God um in their paintings in their sculptures and they speak to the they speak to this underlying secret um through a variety of levels through a variety of clues including color including numbers mm-hmm. including um figurative placements the completion of the square, the hidden fifth element, all of those things. Yeah, and uh, you know, David touched on you know, the, those topics in you know, the chapter that was uh, set in uh, you know the the uh, church. Uh, you know, you know, when the scene was set there, so uh, yeah. yeah, it's just uh, just really interesting how the, the, that legacy keeps 
you know, reappearing in the artwork uh, uh, up until sure, a somewhat sure. recent time. Well, even uh, I can tell you, it's even continuing some artworks uh, right to uh, right to today. Actually, David Brody is—I uh, know David—and he does a great job in terms of taking little elements such as that and fictionalizing them in the stories. Once again, once again, that that is continuing a tradition um, throughout the centuries. There, there have been great books. Arthur Conan Doyle embedded certain elements of the of the same secret of free freemasonry itself within his uh, uh many stories of sherlock holmes <clears throat> well not to get too esoteric here but i'm gonna um, oh we can go we can go off on a tangent barbara if you want <laughs> oh i'm fully capable of that yeah oh um, i am t- i am too it would seem to me that at certain periods of time, when the levels of consciousness of humanity have reached a certain point, symbols of certain kinds of different kinds are imparted to different people in different ways all across the globe. And it feels to me as though it's almost as though it's a seeding of thought that will trigger imagination, that will open awareness and allow spirituality to flow more freely. Actually, that's very well put. And, and um, no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and, and I think we're at one of those points. Oh, um, I believe I believe we are at one of those points, and I believe there are are events happening in the world, uh, not very nice events, that are even triggering that, or even subjecting our our subconscious um, in an odd way. To uh-huh. to a challenge to to reach beyond and to grasp in a spiritual way and to be able to reason and in many ways uh, people over the centuries have only been able to reason things through myths and legends uh-huh. to to reason to reason um, that higher level of consciousness that enlightenment and to uh, to understand that there's a balance. Um, that that we've necessarily lost, or um, there's a balance of good and evil in the world that uh, at times it's swaying back and forth here now, but uh, that hopefully yeah. good will, good will triumph, triumph over evil, what? and that well, and know, that and people will come to a collective consciousness. Well, yeah, and, and in order to achieve a greater foundation, you have to destroy the one that you're already on. So Absolutely. My feeling is that through inspiration and intuition, which is becoming more a part of everybody's reality than it used to be. Yes. Yes. That that in, those those hints of or those pieces of inspiration are now being applied to reality as opposed to just being held within, and that's where you get a lot of the the, the color coming in. That's where you get a lot of the um, I I did a deck of cards that were hand painted mandalas, and um, found that at the same time in the Pacific Northwest there was an ashram that had similar patterns that were created that people used for meditation, and I did find out that also they were patterns that were now being expressed in crop circles and patterns that. Native Americans called their um, power signs, power shields. 
so that so that again a level of inspiration brings forth sacred geometry in different forms in different places that helps to trigger awareness in other people absolutely and that's and that you know what that's a great ob- observation so the question is are we subconsciously uh is there within our blood dna or whatever is there an ancient memory of a common origin that people are now starting to draw up through what? through a certain level of enlightenment and a realization that we all share um certain common elements that uh, that really are are empowering us to bring to, together that collective consciousness once more that uh, that is being suppressed for the longest time. I agree. I think it's it's beginning to activate people who wouldn't have been activated in many ways before. So exactly. it's kind of fun. It, it's fun no, to watch. No, it's, it, it's fun to watch, and it's also fun uh, to see that opening of acceptance. Um, mm-hmm. As I say, for, for the last 2,000 years, um, and I don't want to... I don't want to bash the church uh, per se, but they've been able to control that message. And I find it very interesting. In many ways, many pathways, many spiritual pathways, people are now starting to develop that collective consciousness. And it's not the case that it's it's far out there. I think it's it it provides us with sub, substance or substance to the point that uh, – people are starting to realize that if we come together, um, everybody's an individual, but we do share a commonality. And uh, hopefully that'll be expressed through through certain actions across, around the world, uh, actions that we're seeing in many ways, you know, at Christmas, um, uh, other times of ceremony and things like that. That spirituality, that uh, that common goodness, I think, is what you really want to describe it as. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, okay, the Bible was inspired work. And, you know, when the Bible was done, no more inspiration was coming through. And, and I think today we are seeing more inspirational work than ever before. And it, it's sort of like, the God within is talking to us externally, which is a really no, wonderful thing. It is. It is. And, you know, it's really interesting. As you say, there's elements that can trigger that within people, whether it's color, whether it's numbers, whether it, it's relationships. Um, many people experience it by going for a walk in the woods. Many people yeah. experience it through through family connections or reconnections. Um, there's many triggers, but I believe it's a it's a welling up of uh, a spirit, and I'm actually encouraged by that. Whereas many people are really discouraged by some of the events that's happening around the world right now, I see the uh, um, as you say the the, the floodgates opening, and uh, because of my family background, I've been exposed to a number of things that I think probably have allowed me to to access that level of spirituality a little bit better or a little quicker than most people have. That's exciting. It is very much so, very much so. And uh, so 
is it the journey that we're talking about or is it the uh the final resting place of the treasure that's that's the moral to it all always look beyond even if you find the treasure always look beyond well even and if you find the treasure there's just there's another journey beginning exactly exactly i mean you know now now the 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 real question say, is it would be a it would be a shame if there was just the one journey. There has to be more than that. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Well, there's. it's like a chess game. There's many ways to win a chess game. There's many pathways across North America. Uh, it's whatever pathway people choose. And the Knights Templar, obviously, they were warrior monks. They, they chose uh, a certain pathway, a certain spirituality. But they were introduced to to other levels of spirituality, as I say, through their interactions, through their strategic intermarriages with the uh, uh, Native American indigenous population. This this is what I find exciting, not only because of my mother's family line, but uh, because of the, some of the things that I've been taught. Um, the wisdom of the, of the North American Indians is just tremendous. It's just well, you, know, you, you you bring up a, a point that that has bothered me greatly. In my opinion, the pilgrims invaded this land and declared the Indians primitive and tried to bring them to Christianity without taking the time to learn the wisdom of their religion. Yes. And yes, um, but, but you how know, why I is think it the, the Templars? How why is it the Templars though? to take the time and to blend the two cultures instead of yes. negating one. Yes, and think of, uh, you know, knowledge is power. Think mm-hmm. they generated or regenerated their power through that knowledge and through that uh, access to um, to other spirituality. Um, and as I say, I've been exposed because of my position um, uh, there's physical evidence of these uh, over centuries, these strategic intermarriages through the natives and the Knights Templar. Now, this is really interesting. Um, why is there persecution of uh, Native North Americans? Why, through the residential schools, um, did the Catholic Church try to obliterate the uh, indigenous cultures? Because there was an inkling of what they, uh, what they possessed. Not only from a, on a spiritual level, but on a physical level. Yeah, just, uh, just uh, a, a lot of envy. Well, it, go, it goes beyond envy. I think, uh, I think much like the Knights Templar, the Church believed that the Knights Templar possessed something physically that could destroy the Church. And as we've known through history over the last two thousand years, um, the uh, the secret police of the church, the Jesuits, did everything to obliterate uh, the Native North Americans. Hmm. And there's a lot of there's a lot of historical there's a lot of historical fact to that. But it's it's interesting the spirit. The spirit of the Native North Americans hasn't been crushed, and they, I can tell you, they'll rise up again. They'll rise up again, and yeah. they'll take their right. They'll take their rightful place alongside the uh, le- the leaders of North America, Turtle Island. 
Bill, you already you mentioned you know, in the first hour, you know, there, there there were a lot of uh, you know, so, so, once the you know, the Templars and and the Native uh, people started uh, marrying and you know the, the, the you know, c- cementing the bonds between the uh, sure. two two cultures. Well, you, you know, even before that, there you know there was a uh, uh, commonality. You know, you just go back two thousand years. You know, just say to like the Hopewell people, and, and which would be you know say you know, roughly you know, kind of like early. Stages of Christianity. Now, there were still uh, 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 parallels and ceremonial uh, uh, you know, uh, rituals, and, and you know, just uh, having a concept of uh, s- s- sinful behavior, uh, penance. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, you know, the, that wasn't just exclusively Christian. Uh, the, the, no. This was, you know, just something. Common uh, th- throughout North America at the same time that uh, you know the apostles are just you know starting to wander through the deserts, uh, you know, preaching. You, know, you need to repent. Well, it was already being done here in North America. Well, so, as I po- as I pointed out, um, many people consider uh, early indigenous civilizations across North America. In pre-Christian times, to be to be savages, they were they they were farthest thing from savages. Native North American Indians, they lived in in cities. They practiced uh, technology that was, in many cases, far surpassed the uh, Eastern technology of uh, across Europe and in uh, Asia. So, um, you know. I I always get a kick out of people that consider indigenous people to be savages. There's nothing much. Their their rules of law uh, were actually adopted by the founding fathers. The Iroquois Confederacy had rules of law that were actually embedded within the American Constitution. Um, You know, the founding fathers of America... Uh, they were practic- practicing dualists. Uh, a lot of people think that they were uh, uh, they were Christians, uh, Christians that came over on the Mayflower. Um, they were they were the farthest thing uh, from that. They they realized because they were also descendants of the Knights Templar. They realized that there were forces in nature. There was a different way way to enlightenment uh, that we're talking about today. Um, and they wanted to create a new Jerusalem, um, a mirror image of Jerusalem in the uh, in the new world, per se. Okay, and yeah, uh, so, so some of this section of our discussion uh, is, is, is yeah, kind of. Uh, Similar to 
what Scott Walter consulted with you about for his Akhenaten and sure. the Founding Fathers book. And sure. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, Scott's a well, Scott and Janet are you know friends of the show, and um, and they're very good. And they're, actually, they're very good friends of mine. I've known them for about twenty years. Um, the the key there is the key. Not no one person has all the answers. And David Brody, Scott, Janet Walter, Alan Butler, we sort of formed this little group that we've uh, we all bounce ideas off of each other, and uh, um, it's been a great collaboration in terms of uh, some of the ideas that we talked about. Yeah, and yes, you know, Scott, uh, you know, really does uh, focus on. You know how much your contributions uh, you know, uh, led him to have you know greater understanding of what you know he he's looking at in his his you know what journeys sure yeah you, know, you know for the um, um you know uh, you know Kensington Runestone and all that stuff but you know one of the I thought it was an interesting. Um, where is it? The uh, Duluth Stone. Uh, the Kensington Rune oh, Stone. Well, oh, there's the Duluth Stone. There's the uh, Duluth that, Stone. That's in that. That that that's uh, chapter seven of yes. his book, and he he did a. Uh, I I I think he had one of his uh, TV show episodes based on that. And, and you know, there's all you know the land markers. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about how all all those carved stones fit into you know the Templars being sure. in North uh, Canada, North America? Well, remember that then, as the Knights, the original Knights Templar, as they moved across North America, they would have lo- wanted to leave signs seals or tokens that were recognizable to their fellow initiates that maybe 200 years later that somebody would follow, be following the uh, a similar path. What better way than, than to carve those signs into stone markers, stone, knowing that stone markers uh, would have remained? Um, and what better way to to also create those signs within certain landmarks, landmarks that were quite evident and that wouldn't change over the centuries across the uh, across North America. So there were always signs and seals, and this is what the people on uh, Oak Island have discovered over the years. They've discovered uh, a little bit of the signs, seals, and tokens, but they're not the truly initiated. So they don't understand how to apply those signs on a variety of levels. But what Scott has been done and he's concentrated on, and it's actually been brilliant in many ways because of his background, um, he's been able to to interpret those stones the way they should be and to authenticate those stones from uh, from uh, a timing and an age point of view. And they were essentially markers on a, on a trail that would lead you along the, a variety of pathways um, across North America to essentially that one final point of discovery. And Scott's, done, Scott's dealt with it on a, on a different 
level than I have, but I've been able to guide him in some ways. And Scott, uh, some of the some of the work that he's done has really helped me. And Janet and Alan Butler have done it on a different level. So um, again, there's a moral to the story: is that not one one person knows the uh, the entire story, and that uh, you need help to piece the story together. But the markers, Scott is looking at a physical movement. Um, on one level, I am also a physical movement of the Knights Templar inland um, through their guides, through their blood brothers, um, and leaving uh, markers or trails um, along the way for those who come be, come after them, whether it be 100 years, 200 years, or 500 years. Okay. And only those stones are only being rediscovered now as we, as we talk about it. A lot of people are actually looking for them. And once you learn the signs and what to look for, you the, things start to come more to you, more readily and, to you. Yeah, so, you know, the, you know, Scott says or interprets them as, um, but their uh, land land claims, you know, that kind of goes back to a little bit of uh, what what you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago was uh, North America being uh, you know, the the New Jerusalem. Uh, you know, what, you know, do you think that's a uh, you know, possibility that you know, uh, you know, North America can you know just be uh, be a better place. You know, uh, no, ab- absolutely, and I think that's what the Knights Templar saw in North America. Hi, go- hi, guys. There's somebody yeah. here with a question. If I could bring Mike on, would that be okay? Sure, sure. Yeah, hi, okay. Hi, Mike. Hold on. Am I on? Hi, Mike. Am I on, Mr. Man? You're on, you're on. Yes, yes, Mike, how are you? Is it, fine, thanks. Is it right, worshipful or worshipful or brother? What is it? What am I? Actually, am I if addressing? you want to, uh, right eminent night. Right I'm eminent night. So you're not, you're not active in Blue Lodge then? You're mostly I am, Templar. I am, I am, oh. but uh, let's say tonight I'm right eminent night. Okay. Now, the only question that I have, I was looking at the, the differences. I tried looking up Oakville. And I saw that there are different Grand Lodges up in Canada. I didn't know that. I'm out of New York. Okay. Um, and I, I didn't realize that charters were turned in for political reasons. That's it. And then I guess charters came back. They pulled out of Quebec. And then it sounds like a mess. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I didn't read far enough. But I mean, no, I don't, think Grand... I don't think you read far enough. Okay. Uh, so there is one Grand Lodge for Canada then. Yes, there is. Okay, good. And there's, okay, a, that's and there's a grand and there's a Grand Lodge of Ontario. Okay, so two different. All right, but none of them are clandestine or anything. By, no, by the, not not the at stamp. all. Not at all. We're okay. talking about all right. we're talking about Masonic uh, orders. Right. Okay. Great. I just wanted to make sure before I went and started discussing with you because you know the deal on that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. And now, now. Um, a lot of, I think, the biggest problem that you have, you know, I'm sure you know Arturo, you know Art. That yes, has, yes. Uh, Don, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah. And um, he's a great guy. He's written some phenomenal mm-hmm. books, and uh, 
He's got quite mm-hmm. the archive with Pike. I mean, he has a lot to him, handy to him. But I think well, the problem well, with a lot of these actually, actually, sorry to interrupt there. But if yeah. you ask me what my next book is going to be about, I'll tell you. But uh, go on, and we'll talk about what you want to talk about first. What I think, I mean, my main focus, it's, we're in the history, basically, but my main focus is, is not on the Masonic end, it's World War II. But I find the problem with a lot of these people that come in and that are critical, whether it's Freemasonry, anything regarding history, they judge it, they read it, they look at it through today's eyes, today's values, today's verbiage. They interpret things so that they can understand it, and that's the wrong way to do it. If you don't understand the intent, the language, how things were back then, how the people lived and their thoughts back then, you're never going to really understand what was going on in history. And I think no, it's the same. I, with the I would, ag- I would agree. I would yeah. agree, absolutely. Like, the, give me an example. Uh, my great uncle and his four brothers were uh, made masons in the trenches of the First World War. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we, any of us can imagine the uh, the turmoil and the emotion involved in those no. in that bro- in that brotherhood that was established in the trenches. No, so, it, it means a, a lot. I mean, it's a very very strong. I mean, every now and then I visit the lodge out in Provincetown and. Uh, phenomenal, some of the history. And, and one, the secretary told me they were going through the, the records, some of the notes, the minutes, and they found uh, there was a ship captain, because a lot of them were whalers back then. He yeah. wanted his son to take his third degree because they were sailing. He wanted, before he went off to sea, he wanted to raise his son to make sure that he was, he got it. so they did it. They held a special communication, they held the degree, and right then, after they finished, and they had a collation afterwards and everything else, they went off, they sailed off, and they were never seen again. The ship sank. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you, interesting enough, you can imagine my surprise. You can imagine my surprise when 20 years ago, when my mother died, and it was only through going through, through uh, old photographs and stuff that I discovered that my uh, great uncle in his Knights Templar uniform. And oh, I thought, that's great. This is interesting. So it was through the Grand Lodge that I. I was passed on from gentleman to gentleman, and finally I was able to discover the uh, – and everything was so secretive, and that that's something that I can't understand. My generation, I feel that if anybody asks me and is, ser- is serious about it, I'll explain right. to them any, anything that I know, well, uh, other, you know other than maybe the, the, the signs of recognition. Right. Um, and uh, I'm open to talk about anything, and that's what I'm putting in my books. Now you may find that you may find it interesting. My next book, uh, I was Grand Historian and Grand Archivist for the Knights Templar of Canada uh, oh, about right. four or five years ago, Sovereign yeah. Great Priory. And actually, if you want to look up the website, you can look it up www.knightstemplar.ca, oh, and it's okay. just and it's and and it's associated with. Uh, um, the Grand Encampment. Okay. Okay. Now, one thing. Now that I'm relaxed talking to you, I mean, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, okay. I've got a question for you. I had a couple of people ask me to join. They said it was St. John's Priory, something, you know, the Knights Templar, and it turns out that it's it's not affiliated with us. No. No. And and I was and I said, what what is this? And they said, well, your initiation will take six hundred bucks for you to. Buy the uniform and a sword, and and then and I said, wait a minute, what is this group, and who are these people? And I, I, I don't know, but they're out there. They've got websites and everything, and a lot of the people that are joining them, I'm seeing, 
are military, retired yes. military. And yes. uh, I think it's like a military-style fraternity that they're creating that has nothing to do with masonry. Yeah, and it's, 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 un, it's unfortunate. And, you know, over in Europe, there's a number of Knights Templar offshoots that have nothing to do with masonry either. If you really want to if you really want to check out the Grand Encampment, look up uh, www.knightstemplar.org, and that's Christian masonry right there, the Grand Encampment. All right. If you, if you go to your Facebook page, I just clicked like your page. I don't know if it will show you. So that way you can see how I am because I know sometimes I'm – Blog okay. Talk Radio, you never know, but you'll see I'm, I'm for real. I'm the master of my law. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you, know what, uh, you know what's really, you know what's re- really interesting there? I can tell just just from your opening uh, comments there that uh, that you are a Mason. But you know what? Mason or non-Mason alike, I, I like to present this material because it it provides, as Barbara says, uh, food for thought. And it's you know, a lot a, of the smoke. It gets rid of yeah, a lot of the confusion and everything in itself. Exactly. And there's exactly. too much garbage that's on. I mean, I play with people. And when, when a guy usually, I mean, my guys tell me, if they would finish a first degree, I usually line the guys up and when they first take a break and I congratulate them. And I say, now, you know that we don't take you down to Washington until you get your third degree. Then we take you in that room underneath and you're allowed to take out one piece of gold. But <laughs> you have to wait until you take your third degree before we take – the guys are coming up to me going, Mike, would you stop it? And they're looking at me with their mouths open because they believe this Hollywood stuff because they no, don't exactly. know anything else. So it's great that the information's out there to clear it up. Some of the myths and aliens and uh, uh, conspiracy stuff, it's, it's unbelievable. No, and uh, actually, uh, I'm glad that you're online because you may find my next book kind of interesting. Um, as Grand Historian, Grand Archivist, I discovered a series of letters uh, yep. from Albert Pike, the sovereign yep. grand commander of Southern Jurisdiction, to essentially his count- counterpart in Canada, a Colonel William James Burry McLeod Moore, who was Supreme Grand Master and sovereign grand commander here in Canada. And uh, I, the letters themselves were fascinating. I'm, I'm fascinated by Albert Pike because on one level, here's a Confederate general that supposedly was involved in uh, Knights of the Golden Circle and the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, but uh, as we yeah, know... Yeah, that wasn't he, true. No, as we know yeah. that he was uh, uh, Prince, known... Prince Hall. Prince Hall, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. So, so to me, the most fascinating thing was these letters, which uh, which I essentially developed a fictional story around and... Uh, and uh, my book will be coming out uh, next fall after my installation as Supreme Grand Master here in oh, Canada. And it's called okay. the Pike Let and it's called the Pike Letters. Okay, right. uh, you're already booked. Pardon? Sorry? I I I, I we want to book you for that show. Just, uh, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, we'll yeah, we'll, 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 uh, we'll stay in touch about that one. This is just Sure. You know, sure. Uh, Mike can call in with his review as well. You know, uh, we 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 want you back. Sure. No, it's it's great that it's great that a show a show that's out there, BTR can get somebody that's credible that knows what they're talking about and that has, I, I mean, this is perfect. So you're not you're not dealing with the Alex Jones of the Masonic world of the a nice temple. Yeah. No, this is you know this is nice. It's refreshing for once. Um, no, that's that's really a good great deal. But um, 
No, I, I find them a lot interesting. And now the thing about Oak Island, I, I don't know. I think that's another, I don't know if that's a myth. I don't know what to think of that. I haven't read up enough about it, but I keep seeing that brought up. Well, you have, to read my, you have to read my books. No, essentially, is, is, essentially what, it, what I believe it is, is yeah. Knights Templar used it as a ruse. And if you look at it, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the construction is based on uh, 32 degrees of Scottish Rite Masonry and right. uh, Blue Lodge and uh, Chapter, uh, the variety of levels and rituals that are applied physically on the ground. And the clues are right there. As I say, it's, it's done its job. Oak Island has done its job. It's prevented ma- many people from looking beyond. Right. Many people are, have been stuck in Oak Island for 222 years thinking that there's well, a treasure there. Well, a lot of them say that the treasure was, it was the one that came out of France when the Templars booked after the uh, Pope was moved from Italy over to Nice. Sure. When the Emperor sure. owed the Pope so much money and, and it was easier for him to just say we're, we were all heretics and, and uh, pull that down and burn Dimolet and the whole thing. That book, uh, Morning Blood? Yes. Uh, I mean, I, By I James Robertson? Who, right. I, I forget who wrote it, but yeah. I read that years yeah. ago. And that touched on different things, which was nice seeing them bring history in. But then again, I mean, as myself being involved with, with, my, with World War II for over 50 years, yes. I found that you can't take just one book. You've got to really, or you have to look at somebody that's taken multiple resources and simmered it down and offered it to the reader so that they can come up with a conclusion that makes sense, not taking the reader's version of you know, uh, which is very important in my, you know, that's the way I look at it. I mean, well, I was just saying the, the Barbara, the way we should all look at it is take everything that you've learned or, or read, absorb it, and throw away about 90% of it. Yeah. And, yeah. and really yeah. distill it down to the truth. I have a friend of mine that he died two years ago, but he was one of the interrogators at the Nuremberg trials. He saved everything. I've got binders of his documents. I've got verbatim interrogations, signed depositions, his IDs, attorney's instructions. You're flipping through this, and you have history by the throat, and a lot of it doesn't match up with what they're teaching in the schools. No. And, and you're comparing the saying, well, this is primary source material. What are they teaching these kids? So not just kids, adults in colleges. So, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. My wife says, why don't you collect Beanie Babies? Get out of history. It's safer. Or stamps to take up less room. <laughs> no. I don't know. Well, Mike, I was uh, maybe I'll meet you in Washington. I was down in Washington last Easter for the sunrise ceremony. So. Well, yeah, maybe down there. Did you run into Art down there? Oh yes, yes, yeah. Well, tell Art say this guy Mike, uh, who's a collector, because he's also a collector like myself. He's been to my house. Yeah. Say, well, tell Art, him, tell him Art, Mike says hi. Art was the actual one who authenticated the uh, the Pike letters that I have. Oh, yeah, that's great. How about Oscar? You know Oscar? No, I've never met Oscar. Okay, no. Oscar's fantastic. Yeah, Barbara and Mark are sitting in the background going, who are these two guys talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what it shows? You know what it shows? A connection. It shows a connection that goes across bounds. I'm totally comfortable with Bill talking to him. And that's it, 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 what it is. Uh, this is a reunion. We're, uh, we're uh, uh, connecting people. <laughs> no, what it, what it shows, Mark, 
is that there's a, there's a commonality to what's what we're talking about, and it can be interpreted on uh, many levels. And you know, it, if you're if I'm speaking to somebody from Portugal, from Scotland, from Wales, from France, from Denmark, you know, there's a commonality associated with that. And Barbara talked about that. There seems to be a common sort of spiritual awakening that that people are coming together, free thinkers. That are that are able to apply their own logic and reason to uh, some of the things that are happening in the world right now. Yeah, I mean it's true. I just had a colonel visit from Brazil, and he's a retired colonel from the Brazilian army. Didn't speak a word of English, but you know something that didn't matter. It didn't matter. He sat in lodge with us. He had he, we had a wonderful time with him. Didn't speak a word of English. So it, yeah, it didn't now matter. you realize what's going to happen, Mike. Somebody's going to think this is a put up. That you found no. in specifically that uh, no. to add to add to my cre- <laughs> add, add to my credibility. Yeah, no, not at all, not at all. That's why. Well, that's why I asked. I was trying to be nice about it in the beginning to make sure. But yeah. there's a lot. Of, as I said, there's a lot of history and and thanks for clearing that up about that priory of Saint John thing because I didn't know what they were. No, there's a, there's a, there's a number of groups that have sort of assumed the persona of Knights Templar outside of masonry that uh, um, for whatever reason they've, they've established their own sort of order and uh, and um, sort of start advertising out there and all of a sudden they're, they're the definitive voice for Knights Templarism across, uh, across the world. But here's a question for everybody. This is, this is really interesting, Mark, and you talked talked upon it a little in terms of these stones that Scott Water, Walter has been discovering. If if there's a treasure ever discovered, who does it belong to? That's that's one question I always love to put out there. Because who do, if you if you establish a definitive connection to the original nine, nine Knights Templar, who does that treasure belong to? Well, the uh, you know, the, the the native people were here before them, and I, I, you know, they, but but they also didn't, you know, really say that they owned the land. So uh, that's I, right. I, they they were guardians. Yeah, so in, I, in actual fact, the native people are still guardians of the Templar treasure. I can tell you that. Yeah. So well, I, if, I don't. Uh, if the case of the treasure is wisdom. Then it belongs to everyone. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, not to sound like a pessimist here, but knowing how governments work and the amount of greed out in society today, whether it's Canada, America, or anything in Europe, that you know that the government will come in there and go, "That's ours, thank you." And then after the yeah. trial, they might give a commission, but they're going to try to get their hands on all of it. But there, but there's yeah. a moral to that story. Maybe it should be well enough left alone. Yeah. Maybe 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 the treasure is. Is as we speak enlightenment, and we should just speak on those levels and not go looking for a physical treasure. Yeah. I, I, re- I really believe that if it ever is released or, un- or, or brought to the surface, that is only going to send us on another journey. Oh, and it could create turmoil also. So. So I, well, maybe yeah, we but that le- turmoil's good. Turmoil's well, good. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe we can achieve that uh, um, 
the end of the rainbow, the, the treasure itself, without <laughs> actually discovering the physical treasure. I, I, I don't want to go down the hole first. That's the whole thing. <laughs> well, it, it, I, I think that the wisdom that is there will shake up everybody, but it will bring them to a better understanding of themselves, ultimately. Uh, ultimately, after a certain amount of turmoil, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Or, 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 you know, it's going to end up in a, a court, and you know, maybe David Brody will get the uh, case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the attorneys will—they'll benefit the most from it. They'll, yeah, they'll make yeah. The money. Now, don't pick on attorneys. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know, I told you I'm a pessimist. I'm in New York, where it's, it's a yeah. rough state to yeah. live in. Yeah, 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 and I would hate to have to. Uh, to defend the case in New York itself, yeah. Oh my God! Oh. I told you yeah. they they want right now. There's a bill where they want access to they want our codes for the internet and for Facebook and any other Twitter Twitter account or anything you have, and they want the ability to look go back three years of your records of your archives and for one full year of everything you've looked at on the internet, so they look at who you are before you get a gun permit or amend your permit to buy a gun or anything. And that's the first step. I mean, that's how they are. That's how people don't recognize it. I've had people say, well, it's for the greater good. No, I don't think they should have that access. But New York, we do things differently here. Maybe we, should get, maybe we should get back. Barbara, get us back on the spirituality trail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, have, I have been amazed at, at the aspects of Freemasonry and the different levels and the different grades and the different... Um, perceptions that you get through your different levels. Um, I, I was not aware of any of it, you know, the Blue Lodge and then the other, the the York and the and the. Um, um, Scottish yeah. right. Yeah. And and it, to me, it, it says that that it feels to me what what amazes me is that you really the different lodges don't really communicate that well. So that so that you know you guys are not going to take over the world. All you're trying <laughs> to do is to take over your life. And no. and I think and it, I you it, know it, I can I, I sorry to interrupt again. I can I can tell you mm-hmm. that ninety five percent of the Masons too that generally go to lodge in many ways don't ask these questions that we're talking about tonight. No, I know it, it, it's a it's a shame and you know. Um, it's it's trying to get good men to to think uh, on a higher level, and uh, even those masons, some masons that are being initiated, they treat things all purely on a one level. Well, and my grandfather don't, was they a mason. They don't think about things. Yes, yes. And, a, a and lot, there's a lot of allegory. There's a lot of allegory yeah. that they want you to think, but a, a lot of them never. You know, as Bill said, they won't ask or they won't look deeper. You know, and but not all of them either want to become want to run for an office. So it's hard to get them active. You know, and you know, it's and, but, and but it's very. You know, it, go ahead. But brother. a lot of you do. A lot of you do ask the questions. A lot of you do go within. A lot of you do, even though you may not talk about it openly. Um, the the aspect of Freemasonry gives you the opportunity to expand, and it's it's whether or not you choose to is is you know, a whole other thing. But you do create the atmosphere for men to feel more comfortable within their own selves 
and, and you do expose them to the possibility of that awareness, which is a great thing. Yeah. What's, what's, better what's, hap- what's happening too, though, is I am I'm always constantly in debate with the older gentlemen in terms of how secretive should we be. Um, uh, like my great uncle, you know, I had no clue uh, of his involvement. My father and his seven brothers, I had no clue of their involvement, even as I, I had an inclination, but um, no real uh, definitive uh, even nudge. I had to find everything out for myself. Um, and in many cases, everybody passes away. Every time I think that I've found somebody that can, you know, move me up level in terms of enlightenment, they they pass away. Um, in many ways, Freemasonry has been a victim of its own secretiveness. So, you know, some of the things that I talk about, uh, I have people coming up to me in Lodge and Preceptory, Scottish Rite, whatever, and they say, you know, thanks for talking about this because it should be talked about. Because, you know, um, uh, people have misconceptions about masonry on uh, so many levels. A lot of the old timers, I agree with you, they're ruining it. It's, you know what it is? It, it, we joke about it here, but it's the two old men from the Muppets sitting in the balcony. What were the names? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know the, the two, two old, old guys? Grump- or- yeah, the two old yeah. grumpy men. Yes, that's them. That, and, you know, it's, we didn't do that in 1932. Well, of course you didn't. And, you know, we're not doing anything out of the ordinary here. This is We're doing the ritual as as it's written. We're doing it correctly. And, no, you guys were doing it wrong back then. You were skipping stuff. You, were, you weren't doing the middle chamber. You weren't doing the lectures. You weren't, what, what are you doing? And you're complaining, but they're ruining it. And uh, I can see why a lot of the younger ones don't want to get involved because of that attitude. That, but I, I, think it's, I think it is changing. You know, I mean, I'm 62. It is changing. In, in part, is changing. And I hate to say I call it the uh, Da Vinci Code. Uh, yeah. um, uh, it, it's sort of the syndrome. Uh, it's, it's, it's made people start to ask, you know, that, that they start to realize that their grandfathers were Masons. And right. But, you what know, guys, was, what, go ahead. 20 years ago, nobody would have talked on a radio show about no. Freemasonry like this. No. You've come a long way. Well, even so, I think we're being careful about what we're saying, so we're not breaking any rules. So, uh, you know, you're not getting any ritual or anything that, you know, that, that uh, hardcore stuff where we would get in trouble sure. by breaking, uh, you know, any, any oath that we took, per se. But, um, I mean, but family members, like you said, my father was a past master. And they just presented me last month with the Lewis Jewel. I don't know if you have that up in Canada. And yes, it was an yeah. honor. I was honored to yeah. it. I was, it was great. And that's something they give you if you have a family member. A father or grandfather was Mason yeah. earlier. But, but in the beginning, years ago, I didn't want anything to do with it. I grew up, my dad was a Shriner, and he was active. And, and when you're a kid, you know, it, it's like, uh, really? Because you're doing kid stuff. You're, there are other distractions. And, and I'll tell you, I was with a a band and we had a quick, quick story and we had a gig down in Jackson, Mississippi. And I bought a brand new Chevy van, 1977. I was waxing that thing. I was so proud of it. Here comes my dad with this sticker disc that he's going to put it on the back of the, of the van. And it's the past masters symbol. And I said, no, I don't know. I don't want bumper stickers. I don't want any of that junk on my van. No. And he said, you're going to put it whether you like it or not. I'm going to, it ended up on my truck. 
all right. So I'm driving with the band. I play Greek music. I'm Greek. So it's not like we're Black Sabbath. Never on a Sunday is over the Greek. Give me a break. And we're driving down through Alabama, and it was like 2 in the morning. And, yes, I'm speeding. And the state trooper pulls us over. And I thought, oh, my God, we're dead. This guy's going to see the musical equipment and everything and think that he's got, like, Led Zeppelin, and we're all druggies and partying, and they'll never find our bodies. I said, oh, my God. This... And he got out of the car, and he's staring at the back of my truck. And I, I woke the guys up. I said, guys, there's a state trooper. We're in trouble. I was speeding, and, and this the guy walked up to my window, looked at me, and went, you're too young to be a past master, boy. This here must be your daddy's truck. And before I opened my mouth to answer him, and he went, you get your ass back down the road, you give fraternal greetings to your dad. You understand me, boy? I said, yes, sir. The next morning, I called my father. I said, send me a stack of those stickers. I want one on my forehead. I'm going to put one on the back of my pants. I'm going to put them on everything I own. My dad was laughing. He said, that's not the meaning of it. I said, oh, I don't know what it was, but... I, I like that sticker. That was very good. Thank you. And, but to a kid, that's what it meant at the time. To us, it has a completely different meaning. But, I mean, you know. But anyways. Well, well that's an interesting story. I hope, we didn't, uh, I hope we didn't offend anybody on that story. So. No, I don't think it would. Uh, we're getting right to the end of the show, guys. So, Mark, okay. you, you should... Mark has a has a habit of saying half hour goodbyes. So, Mark, you should right. start now. All right, I'll mute myself. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, Bill, um, you know, people can get your uh, uh, Templar Meridians, the Night uh, Templar in the New World. Uh, you know, uh, what else? Uh, what the you can go you can go to any books uh, and Templar sanctuaries. Any bookstore, chapters, Indigo, um, you can order it right traditions. from innertraditions.com. Uh, people can go, can visit my website, templarsnewworld.com. Um, uh, let me just say, I'm not, although the books have done really well and being translated into five different languages, I'm not in into it to make money. I'm... I, in many ways, it's allowed me to sort out a lot of the things that go around in my head. And believe me, there's a lot of things that go around in my head. Um, it, it, it's allowed me to really sort out uh, a lot of the things on a, a variety of different levels. Okay. It, uh, yeah, th- thank you, Bill. This was just a wonderful show. Uh, we'll see everyone on... Uh, I, I know uh, we're doing our next show on January 3rd. Uh, Mike, appreciate you calling in. And, Bill, please come back. Uh, gr- great evening. And we'll see everyone next week. How, how's that Barbara and uh, Blog oh Talk English babe? Oh, 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 my God. I mean, that was so fast. We still have three minutes. Um, <laughs> he, usually, he usually goes over with all of this, but, Bill... I do thank you. <clears throat> I'm oh, going to call welcome. you and see if I can't get you on my my Monday night show um, at some point in time because I would love to go into all this material with you as well and see if we can't not reveal the source of the uh, you know the the location of the treasure but talk more about the you know the Sinclairs and and sure. that journey and 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 the um, connection with the with the Native Americans. Because um, it's a to fabulous me that's story. 
to me that's one of the best parts of the story and to me that it's it's a personal part of the story that I I really enjoy and it, and it explains a lot of things it it explains uh you know subconsciously how my parents got together um and were married in a month they must have recognized something in in both of them um from a long time ago so that's spectacular well i i do appreciate your being on the show and I'm really glad we made the connection, and uh, I think uh, this this show is going to be up on YouTube tomorrow. So I hope that uh, everybody visits it and and uh, follows our our YouTube channel so that we can build a, a better following. So guys, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, Bill, and thank you, Mark, and thank you everyone for listening. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good luck for the new year. Good night. North Pole Hotline. Help. I know Santa was busy, but he missed some big styles on my family's list. Good thing there's Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now. Get up to 75% off store-wide. Old Navy's got everything you still want, from PJs to puffer jackets for the whole family. Up to 75% off? Can't miss that. Or this. All of Old Navy's super stylish jeans are on sale now, too, from just $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Old Navy jeans are at the top of our list. Hurry into Old Navy for up to 75% off store-wide right now. Store-wide sale valid 1226-12. In-stores only. Jeans sale valid 1226-12. Excludes in-store clearance. North Pole Hotline. Help, I know Santa was busy, but he missed some big styles on my family's list. Good thing there's Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now. Get up to 75% off store-wide. Old Navy's got everything you still want, from PJs to puffer jackets for the whole family. Up to 75% off? Can't miss that. Or this. All of Old Navy's super stylish jeans are on sale now, too, from just $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Old Navy jeans are at the top of our list. Hurry into Old Navy for up to 75% off store-wide right now. Store-wide sale valid 1226 through 12. In-stores only. Jeans sale valid 1226 through 12. Excludes in-store clearance.